Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight. We have to thank Ken Quiethawk for that introduction. He has an amazing voice, and he and his wife have a phenomenal website. You can find him at nativestorytellers.com. Please check it out. It's another way of preserving history that most of us have never experienced because we've stuck to the textbooks, which really don't have it all there. So tonight we have a really special guest. We're very excited. Both Mark and I have been cramming all over the place so we probably have enough for about five or six hours, but Mark has honed it down, so I'm going to let him get started so that he can share his excitement and his enthusiasm and his special guest with you. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Barbara. How's your day going? Day's going fine so far, and now it's getting even better. Okay, it is. Yeah, uh, let's just maximize our time with our super special guest. Uh, Tonight's our second very important show of the week on the hidden history in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, This is another show where the audience like Serenity, the Red Dragon Rider, Miss Woo Woo, the human billboard and banker Sarah get to enjoy listening in their jammies in the comfort of their own homes while Barbara and I have a new NSA file started on us. And at any minute, uh, you know, you'll be able to hear the black helicopters straight from the Grand Canyon hovering over the palatial blog talk studios. Surprising aren't uh, here already, but uh, you know, for the, uh last three weeks, uh, our listeners had to choose uh, between listening to Nightlight Part 2 live or seeing the uh, inaugural season of uh, the America Unearthed on the Travel Channel. So for our listeners' convenience, we're merging both shows – 
thanks to Katie Walter's assistance. So, uh, you know, Scott Walter is our uh, guest uh, this evening. You know him as the host of the very popular travel channel show, America Unearthed. He's the author of the Kensington Runestone, the Hooked X, Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers, and the soon-to-be-published Cryptic, Cryptic Code. He is also one of my colleagues at the Ancient at Ancient American Magazine. Oscar, thanks for being our guest tonight. Well, I'm happy to be here, Mark. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah um, I, th I think tonight we'll uh, spend a lot of time weaving uh, you know, the four seasons of TV shows that you've done along with your books and I don't, I, I don't know where this, you know, where this is going to go, but that's kind of like the idea. There's like so much information to uh, discuss, but you know, maybe we could start off. Uh, you know, the show by looking at the introduction of, um, you know, the, the introduction that you've had for the entirety of uh, your uh, show that's aired on the History Channel and Travel Channel. Uh, that's pretty much the same same intro, uh, but you state uh, there's a hidden history in this country that no one knows about, and over the Ten months of shows that Barbara and I have done, uh, you know, we've been finding that your statement is true. Uh, you know, Stonehenge, Newgrange, and the pyramids are great, but th there's fascinating material uh, much closer to home. That's right. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, in uh, the what six or seven years that you've been traveling around America? Uh, how have you grown or you know, become more aware of these intriguing places that are right here? Well, you know, I yeah, I've been doing America on Earth. We've done we've done forty nine episodes now. Um, only uh, forty three of them forty. 42 of them have aired so far, but um, I, I never dreamed when we started this thing that we would end up doing that many shows, and, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to do more because there is a lot more. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really a function of a couple things. One is there are certain stories that we've looked into, things like the Kensington Runestone, which, mm -hmm. which proves that, you know, the Knights Templar came over here long before Columbus, um, established the sanctuary that would eventually become the United States of America. I mean, stories like that have been, no doubt in my mind, intentionally suppressed, right? Um, there are certain forces out there that don't want this story to be told. And there are others that people just would prefer not be told because the way that our country was founded uh, was a particular narrative. And here we are two and a half centuries later, and, uh, you know, quite frankly, why do we have to hide it anymore? I mean, we're here, we're established, it's done. 
what what's the there, there really in my mind isn't a good reason to to keep up with this nonsense but um yet it continues now that's one part of the mysteries that we look into the other is we we look at you know known stories like this week's this coming week's episode is um about Jack the Ripper which you know <laughs> except for one small part of the episode doesn't even take place in the United States but they're enduring mysteries that have been around for a long time that people have pondered that have not been you know solved to everybody's satisfaction yet so and there's a lot of mysteries mm-hmm. that are going on here in the United States that aren't necessarily suppressed but simply have not been completely figured out yet so we uh we look at those things as well, but there's just so many things that need to be uh, looked into. It's endless, really, and it's fascinating. It's fun, and you know, I'm really thrilled to to be able to to be able to do this. It's 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 an honor and a privilege, and more than anything else, it's a lot of fun. It's it's also uh, intellectually stimulating to to investigate these things and try to figure them out. And, and I think in many cases we do get to the, to the bottom of it. We get the right answer. So I'm, I could be happier. Yeah. Who and why are these, um, topics being suppressed? You know, like, you know the migrations of people. You know, that's that's my next question. But you know, what's the need to suppress th- this information? Well, you know, you have first of all, when you know, the the, the most obvious example of that is you know the Runestone uh, and the Templars coming over to North America, and eventually leading to the the founding of the United States of America. I mean, there are certain entities that want a particular narrative of that story to be told. For example, you know, the Roman Catholic Church doesn't want to admit that the Knights Templar leadership were not the good Catholics that everybody just assumed that they were. Um, You know, they want to deny the fact that they were here. They want to deny the fact that they formed a strategic alliance with the Native Americans that were here because they shared a similar ideology, and that ideology was was not consistent with you know church doctrine. In fact, it was um, it was it was diametrically opposed to it. But yet the Templars pretended to be Catholic, and um, you know they flourished by keeping their you know you keep your friends close, your enemies closer. That's exactly what they did. And the church doesn't want to admit that. My gosh. Um, that makes them look pretty pretty silly, but you know they've got plenty of other problems to deal with now, and um, I think it, it's 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 created an environment now where the truth can come out, and they're not going to silence me. They're not going to silence other people working on this research, and the Native Americans, more uh, most importantly, I think are ready to share the knowledge that they know because they know all about not just the Templars but all the other cultures that that came here and, uh, you know, had a presence here and interacted with the natives. I mean, my gosh, why is it that people don't talk to the natives? I mean, if anybody knows the the history of this country, it's them, right? (laughs) And believe me, they do. You know, uh, we're going to get get into that topic in 
a little bit, and um, Barbara's going to probably touch on that when you, you, you return next week. And then we have Bill Mann, uh, I think the following week. So uh, the audience is going to get a hefty dose of that kind of information over the next se- several episodes. But, Good. Uh, uh, Good. It's it's, yeah, well, it's it's important. It's 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 incredible, and it needs to be brought to the world's attention. And um, I, I I can't stress enough how important it is. And you know we all know what happened. You know when we settled this country and colonized. Uh, I mean we committed genocide both here and in Canada, and it's finally starting to be acknowledged. And uh, you know that's that's how you make progress. And and. You know, I, I just think it's great that you guys are are uh, bringing this to uh, the world's attention. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a, a large portion of your written and TV canon deals with uh, several waves of transoceanic migrations to America. And, and obviously all these people are uh, – uh, you know, people arriving in America or ha- having to deal with, uh, you know, the, the various First Nation uh, people, and you know, maybe the first example we should examine is uh, you know, the Salutrians from deep antiquity, and you know, you're. Yeah, the episode where uh, you and the late great uh, Dennis Stanford uh, yeah got together at the Smithsonian, and you know, you're looking at you know one of the artifacts that he's you know, uh, ha- having you examine. Uh, you know, can, can you tell us a little bit about that meeting? I, I mean, there's you know, two big name scientists in the same room. So you know, you just want to be a you know fly on the wall uh to hear hear how that went. Well, you know, as as you're probably well aware, the Smithsonian Institution has not been a big fan of me for a long time and it started with my work on the runestone and you know they uh they consider me persona non grata. But um when we approached them with the uh um uh, the production team, you know, we're we're making a TV show that they have to conduct themselves professionally, and and uh, I, it, re- it wouldn't have played very well for them to deny us access to somebody that is within their institution that was perfectly willing to deal with this. And and Dennis was was absolutely delightful, and I think um, you know we should uh, you know show our respects to his family and um, his friends that. Uh, you know, he passed away in April after f- apparently fighting a battle with cancer, and you know, I was sad to hear that. But in any case, he was mm-hmm. wonderful, and we spent uh, you know a, a half a day with him, and and he he couldn't have been more gracious and um, helping me understand certain things, and and uh, and he was just a terrific guest, and we got along great. So um, it was wonderful, and you know, he's he, you know his ideas have not, you know, especially in the outset, were not, you know, accepted uh, by a lot of uh, his contemporaries, you know, people that are were married to the whole Clovis um, ideas and, you know, this idea of the Salutrians coming 
you know, 10,000 years earlier and, and, and longer ago to North America from, from the East, right? Um, that was mm-hmm. heretical in, in the archaeological field. But, you know, he followed the evidence. He looked at the artifacts, and he developed a, a very plausible thesis that made all the sense in the world. And, and it's bared out to be true. So, you know, some people will say that's brave and that's, uh, you know, going against the grain. Well, I guess that's true, but my goodness, you know, people have said that about me, and I just go, wait a minute, I just followed the evidence. That's exactly what Dennis did. And uh, when you follow the evidence, it will lead you to the truth. I mean, that's just a basic um, principle of, of scientific method. It's about the facts, and and his facts were 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 irrefutable, and he was right. Yeah, uh, I think your adjectives to describe Dennis as gracious is an ac- accurate characteristic of him. You know, the one day I got to spend with him. Uh, you know, I, I got that impression too. He's a very, very intelligent man and an inspirational person. I was just so, sorry to hear of his passing as well. But I, yeah. I think, and, and uh, um, it's just interesting where, you know, he he presents, you know, this, you know, follows the evidence and is, uh, it, uh, gets a lot of uh, recognition for his contributions to um, you know, prehistoric studies and understanding of America you, know, you you do you, you do the same thing and uh you know, you're, you're uh criticized you know, you know Barbara and I are like that too so uh we're in the same same boat but you know, is is Dennis uh yeah yeah, saying that you know, like twenty thousand BC, that you know, there's naval engineering going on to get from the east across the Atlantic, or no, he, he. I mean, I'm sure that they had walking. vessels that they were using, but they didn't travel across the uh, uh, the North Sea on in boats. They did it. They did it across the ice. I mean, he said they were basically following the seal herds and uh, to the west uh, along the edge of the ice. So they're essentially living, living on the ice and moving across the ice and following the seal herds and, and, and making their way here. So, but like I said, they probably had vessels that they used to go out off the ice, I suspect. I mean, I don't know for sure, but that would make sense to me. And, um, you know, that was his basic thesis. And you know, I'm sure that there were other things that were going on. Maybe uh, they had uh, rivals that were forcing them out of their, you know, historical territories, and they they had to, uh, hmm. um, you know, they had to to move on. And and but you know, you have to have food, and if you live along the sea and you develop a certain diet and and um, you know techniques for for cap- capturing, you know, your dinner. Um, if they migrate and move, you got to move with them. So I suspect a lot of that was going on too. And um, you know, that's sort of the general 
general thesis that he had, and it made sense to me. Made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it does. And then you know, one of your episodes deals with the Kennewick man who's coming from you know, the other side of the country, you know, from Japan to you know the West Coast. Uh, you know, it's just the opposite of the Salutrians. Uh, yeah, that uh, that was a, a really interesting episode. Uh, you, you know, what this uh, skeleton was found uh, uh, basically a- a- exposed in a, a stream or a creek bank or a stream. Yeah, it was along. Or I forget the name of the river. It wasn't the Columbia River, but I think it flowed into the Columbia. Um, I, I might be wrong about that. I can't, I can't remember, but. In any case, um, it was just a young guy, a college guy, who was out watching uh, the powerboat races, you know, and he was, you know, drinking beers with his buddy, having a good time. I mean, you know, back in college, that that went on. I remember uh, probably a time or two we went to sporting events, may have had a beer or two, but in any case, he uh, he found this skull on the edge of the water, and, and I think when he first pulled it up, he he thought it was something else, and he didn't realize it was a human skull till later. And uh, and then they went, you know, eventually it, it got turned in. He took it into the authorities, and, you know, they, he thought maybe he had found a murder victim or something. And then they thought it was Native American. And, you know, then they, they did C-14, and they realized this is, you know, this might be Native American, but it's a hell of a lot older than anybody thought. And so he took them back to the site, and they excavated it, and they found more of the skeleton. And... It was simply just weathering out of the hillside. It was an ancient burial, but it showed, uh, you know, traits of being um, um, Polynesian. So, you mm-hmm. know, and and you know, what? How did the Polynesians get here? You know, that whole uh, that whole thing. But you know, they they traveled by boat for crying out loud, and they were master sailors and uh, um, navigators, and they traveled literally thousands of miles across the oceans in the South Pacific, and um, why not? (laughs) Why couldn't they have made it to the West Coast? They made it everywhere else. You know, it's so funny when you talk to some of these archaeologists and anthropologists and historians that, you know, want to stick to, I don't know whose accepted narrative it's supposed to be, but it's almost like they would have you believe that there was a fence around the continent. Nobody gets in and nobody nobody got out, you know, and it was up there for, you know, thousands of years. I mean it's 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 silly when you think about it. It it doesn't even pass the smell test as far as I'm concerned. So and, and what the Kennewick man was something like ten thousand years after the Salutrians? Is that somewhere around the general Oh time no, I frame? don't think it was you know, God, I'd have to look it up. I could probably just Google it, but um, I think it was it was around 10,000. Salutrian goes back, my gosh, you know, 18, 20, 21, even as far back as 25,000 years, as I recall. So um, you're talking about, oh, okay. you know, Kennewick Man is, um, you know, it's it, the, the big thing with Kennewick Man is that it had Polynesian features and didn't mm-hmm. really fit, you know, genetically with uh, the indigenous population that was believed to have been there at that time. Yeah, uh, was there, there uh, another skeleton 
nearby? Uh, uh, was he from a uh, like a little necropolis? Do we know that, or was it just a isolate? It seems like it was an isolated. It was an isolated skeleton that was bear, found. Bear, okay. You know where there's one, there's probably going to be another one somewhere. Um, the other thing is, is this guy had um, multiple wounds that had in his body. Oh. And, that it healed over. I know that there was a, 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 I think it was an obsidian point that was embedded in his hip or something. It was, uh, um, God, it's been so long since I've even thought about this. I apologize for not having all my, my details straight, but I remember that he showed uh, a number of uh, uh, examples or evidence of, of trauma that he experienced in his life and survived. You know, many broken bones and... Um, you know that that spear point that was found. I think it was in his hip. Interesting. Okay, so and we have the um, you know we we have uh, Dennis Stone tuned in uh, t- tonight, and you know we have to at least mention the megalithic mariners uh, possibly coming to. Uh, America's Stonehenge, or you, know, you are making an annual pilgrimage there around uh, the, the winter solstice. Uh, you know, what do you get get out of the visits to America's Stonehenge? Uh, is this something that? Uh, is one of the first um, megalithic sites built in America from European uh, immigrants? Well, let's put it this way. I don't think we have, uh, you know, reached a definitive conclusion as to who exactly built America's Stonehenge. I mean, we make the assumption that it's European, and and it probably is, I think, one of the reasons that people think that is because the local indigenous people, uh, basically what they say, and I'm paraphrasing, is um, we didn't build this place. This isn't what we do. Um, you know, they say this place is haunted. I mean, I've heard natives that I've been there with say that. And, I mean, if they didn't build it, if it wasn't Native Americans that built it, then it has to be somebody that came from somewhere else. And uh, exactly mm-hmm. who that is, we just don't know. But clearly they understood astronomy and, uh, you know, obvi- you know, megalithic sites and, um, you know, and, and tracking tracking the uh, the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, the constellations. But this is something that's universal. This has been going on throughout time. These people weren't the first to do this, and they, and they, they better not be the last as far as I'm concerned. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's amazingly complex, and I think we were just beginning to understand, uh, you know, what's happening there. So it's just, a, it's just an incredible site, but it's probably some European site. But you know what's really interesting, Mark, and this brings up a point that I, um, you know, there's, there's plenty of trolls <laughs> and negative blog sites that, that, that are, I guess I would just call them hate blog sites that attack anything and everything that we do. Um, 
and they have, you know, a certain number of uh, relatively small followers, but they are very nasty. And one of the things that mm-hmm. I've been accused of, and I've been accused of by archaeologists, academics have called me racist because I dare suggest that, um, you know, Europeans were responsible for certain things that we find in this country. And the reason I'm racist is because I'm, I'm by default, I guess, I'm saying that Native Americans weren't intelligent enough to do these things. And, I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But yet, this is what I hear. I still hear it. Um, a guy came on my blog site and tried to, you know, make that argument. I didn't post the comment because I, if it's a hate thing, I just won't even, I won't post it. But, um, right. I mean, think about that. That's 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 what we've been reduced to. We can't have a... Uh, intelligent discussion. You have to accuse us of racism because we, I mean, you know, I have to tell you, you, are you trying to tell me that Native Americans built the Newport Tower? That Native Americans carved the Kensington Runestone, the Spirit Pond Runestones, the Back Creek Stone, the Tucson Letter, Native Americans did that? Really? <laughs> um, um, boy, oh boy, that's that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty, um, you know, that's a pretty bold claim if you ask me. Scott, you know, you do see it in Squire and Davis's book where, you know, they are talking with a chief, I just say around the Chillicothe area, and, you know, they document that they they asked him who who built these mounds along the Scioto River. And you know, you did a show on, on, on that with the like menorah-looking one, and, and you know, you know, they do a document in their book that the chiefs uh, did say, uh, you know, my, my people didn't build this, so it, it, it's not, it, you know, you have the native people saying that we aren't responsible. Are, are uh, you claiming now, then, Mark, that these Native Americans are racist? No, they're I'm just joking. Uh, no. I'm joking. No, no, they, no they're just. No, no. I mean, you get the yeah, point to be not taking... like, okay, now you got the natives saying that they didn't build it. Well, for crying out loud, yeah. it's like if if and they say it, it's okay, but if I say it, it's being it's being racist. I mean, it's just nonsense. Yeah. You know. It it, it, but, yeah, it is. No, it's it's it, look, it, it's just like Stonehenge. The natives that we've talked to, they said the same thing. So we, this isn't what we do. We don't do this stuff. I mean, we we track the movement of the stars and. We practice archaeoastronomy, but this isn't the way that we do it. Um, mm-hmm. So, if not them, then who did? <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, it, you know, you do have examples of you know, like the megalithic yard being found yeah. at America's. Stonehenge, like at, at the uh, sacrificial table, you know, may, maybe a few other examples. Well, uh, all you, you know what, when somebody starts to take this play, this site seriously, when academics and scholars, you know, pull their heads out of their rear end and and take a look at this site, I mean, what are they afraid of? I mean, my God, this is a mo- this is a this is a virtually untouched site as far as research goes by academics. I mean, people could make a name for themselves if they would just, you know, get away from worrying about the, this, this, you know, this narrative that they, 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 they can't 
buck in any way. They have to follow. I mean, for crying out loud, that just is that that's the antithesis of what scholarly research is about. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, right. And they're going to find a lot more there. They'll they'll discover things that you know a lot of us uh, researchers that have been looking at certain aspects of it will never see. And we need their help. They need to come together and uh, and and get off the schneid and help us out. Well, you know, you have the ibex petroglyph, which does not represent any kind of. Uh, uh, white-tailed deer or any, anything here in America, it, it, you know, it looks more like some kind of an, antelope, which wasn't sh- showing up in America at all. Uh, yeah, it's. I, th- I think a lot of people just want to know. Who, who give credit to the uh, people who build it, and it's not, and it's not being racist. Of course it isn't. I mean, it's nonsense. We just want to figure yeah. out what happened. I mean, cultures were going back and forth for thousands of years to other continents. Of course they were doing it here. I mean, it's just it's it's just silly to to try to suggest that that didn't happen. I really, honestly, don't know. Why? Why they even try it to, to put it off? It, it's, and you know what's interesting? And I, when I first got involved in this, I didn't know anything about, you know, forbidden history or anything like that. Um, I was just doing my work, and I came up with, you know, the Kensington Runestone. I presented my findings, and I thought to mm-hmm. myself, good for them, they got one, and I was ready to move on. And you know, I started getting all this pushback, and you know, people complaining and and. And I said to myself, well, okay, well, where did I screw up? What What are your questions? What is it that you don't understand? I'll help you understand it. And, and heaven forbid, if I made a mistake, I'll fix it, okay? Because it's not about me being right. It's about getting the right answer. It's what I do for a living. I've been doing it 34 years now. And so I was perfectly happy to entertain these questions, but I figured out pretty quickly um, that they weren't, you know, complaining about it or, or looking at mistakes. They just didn't like the answer. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry about that if you don't like the answer, but tough hop, man. The data is the data, the results are the results, and, and I don't make it up for anybody. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not valid. So when they can't attack the evidence, what's the fallback position? They attack the attack you. They attack the messenger, and that, that's, that's what they're doing. And I mean, it's not going to work <laughs> because... You know the data's not going anywhere. The, the 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 facts are the facts, and the conclusions are the conclusions, and that's it. It's all done. And yeah, speaking of you know, the data you just mentioned, um, you bring up the Templars in you know, the hooked decks and. Uh, Akhenaten to the founding fathers, and you know it's in your TV shows, and you have a bunch of dates that all kind of uh, cluster around like the same generation. Was the Kensington Runestones what, what 1362 in the 
uh, Spirit Pond Rune Stone. Fourteen uh, hundred. Well, like four. Yeah, like fourteen hundred. Uh, yeah, fourteen oh one. Fourteen oh two. Okay, yeah, that, that's not you know, forty about forty years isn't uh, you know, big difference, uh, but it shows that there's some uh, like Christian timekeeping type people coming to North America, bringing that idea with them between this. Uh, 
has taken itself a little too seriously, in my opinion. But, I mean, if you stop back and look at the main tenets of what this country was founded upon and the people who did it, it's, it goes back directly to the Templars and the persecution from the monarchs of Europe and the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, if people can't see that, it's so obvious. And it's just been kept under wraps. And in my new book, I flesh this out completely. And there's going to be some evidence that people are going to see for the first time that absolutely proves this is what happened. But logically, I don't know how people can't see it. <laughs> I just don't. Um, and, and, you know, today, when you look at how caustic and divisive our politics are on both sides of the aisle, um, you know, it's, it's just it's so disappointing. Um, I think people need a reminder. And that's really what I say in my lectures now, my new lectures, is I'm, you know, I remind people where we came from. What our, our Constitution is a Masonic document. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were Freemasons, and you know that uh, their ideas were incorporated in it. Absolutely, fifty-three of the fifty-six signers were Master Masons, almost all of them. And so, but why don't we ever hear about that? Why don't we hear? that Masonic principles are systemic all the way through our Constitution. We brag about the Constitution all the time. Both sides do, right? But yet they don't acknowledge that it's Masonic in its, in its origin and that it was Freemasons who created it and created this country. And, and with those tenets, freedom of religion, um, boy, you sure don't see that nowadays, do you? Uh, it, it, it's if you know, I, I'm sure there are people in Congress and the uh, senators who are Masons, but they they aren't following the same ideas as uh, uh, Ben Franklin and uh, James Madison and you know, the, the other George Washington, uh, Thomas Masons. Jefferson, yeah, yeah, Paul yes. Revere, all of them. Look. There are very few, if any, Freemasons in Congress and in the Senate and in government in Washington today. I, I, I don't know um, exactly how many, but I will tell you, in my opinion, not enough. And I can guarantee you one thing. Um, if we had more Masons in government, we would have a higher probability of people making decisions in the interest of the greater good than the personal good. Because right now all that's happening in Congress and the Senate is the personal good. I mean, let's be right. honest, okay? Um, <laughs> Trump's tax cuts did nothing but help the wealthy. I run a business. We, we made money off the tax cut. Did we pass it down to our employees? Well, we like to think so, but not really. Um, the people that own the companies just made more money, and they had more money so that they could, you know, donate to politicians' campaigns. I mean – it's an incestuous system that is not, in my mind, is, is not the right thing for our country. That money could be better spent in other places. Now, we have to be fiscally responsible, um, no question about it. But um, I, I, just, I just think we need to get back to where we started. We've, we've just gone off track. That's my mm -hmm. personal opinion. No, no, no I, I 
I do uh, agree with you there, and and I think that's yeah. We don't need to get into politics. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. You you clearly made your point, but yeah, you're also talking about uh, other uh, aspects of yeah the evidence that people might be able to see. And, you know, when we had uh, Bill Mann on, he was talking about uh, some of these, uh, like, European-type castles uh, found along the Nova Scotia uh, shoreline, and you cover, uh, you know, probably the most um, important uh, – Freemasonic uh, structure in New England, uh, you know the Newport Tower. Yeah. Is you know all all those are uh, all all these uh, structures are still visible, but you know gets a lot of people saying, oh, you know the Newport Tower is just a, a windmill. But yeah, you're providing a lot more evidence in your book, The Hooked X, about the like eight um, uh, uh, pillars it stands. Yeah, like a columns that that it stands on, and the uh, two stories, and it seems like it's a replica of the uh, 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 Church of the Sepulchre over Holy Sepulchre, right? Okay, can can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Well, the architecture of the Newport Tower is spot on, uh, consistent. I mean, it's it, it's an exact replication of uh, the the round uh, two story round church architecture used by the Knights Templar. Look, all you have to do is um, Google um, um, the Chirola at at Tomar. At, at the Convent of Christ uh, Castle in Tomar, Portugal. The Chirola, the two-story round church Chirola there, built by the Knights Templar, is exactly the same as the Newport Tower. I mean, if you Google it, you look at it, the only difference is it's inside and it's fully illuminated. But it's the same thing. It's the exact same architecture built by the Knights Templar. The, the Newport Tower has... Um, all kinds of astronomical alignments to the sun, lunar, uh, to the stars, to the constellations. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Why, for God's sakes, why would you have that in a windmill? And for, for heaven's sakes, uh, a fireplace in a windmill? I mean, it would turn that thing into a bomb with all the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the <laughs> I mean, the grain husks that would be floating in the air. I mean, you light a match to that, the thing would literally explode. I mean, how people can call that a windmill is just complete nonsense. And then you have the capstone ledges at the top of the eight columns on the outside that serve as structural support for the first-story roof of the ambulatory that went around the structure, just like the other Templar churches um, in Europe. So, um, look, you know, we don't want to talk about politics and, and religion, but unfortunately, when you start talking about why is it that these things aren't being accepted, that's why. Politics and religion. 
That's 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 the reason. And and eventually you have to ask yourself, who are the people that are um, against this? Well, certain elements of our government are against it, and uh, elements of the Roman Catholic Church they're absolutely against it. And um, you know, um, I, I hate to say it, but politics and religion, man, these are the forces that we're up against, and they're not going away. And these are the forces that the Templars fought. These are the forces. <clears throat> our founding fathers fought against and um it's just it's it this has been going on with cultures since the beginning of time politics and religion and it's just it is what it is ma'am and, and it's unfortunate but it's the way it is and, and, and scott you also talk about the orphic egg that's in the Newport Tower, and that is a uh, Masonic architectural feature as well. It absolutely is, and not only that, I mean, its its dimensions correspond to the megalithic yard. If if you take the uh, the length, the longest length of the egg, right, by the longest okay. width. You add the two together, and then you divide by 12 inches, <laughs> and you get 2.722, which is the megalithic yard, which is the sacred ratio. Um, and, it can, you know, those are sacred dimensions um, of, of, of an egg, and it's, it's a perfect shape for strength to protect, you know, the newborn creature, whatever it is, whether it's a bird or it's a, a reptile or a dinosaur. Um, these ratios are very, very important. They're found in nature, and uh, these are things that the, the Templars understood. Sacred geometry, mathematics, astronomy, all these things were important to them, and they're absolutely incorporated within the Newport Tower. Now, I'll, I'll tell you a few new things that have been discovered. Now, you talk about the Orphic okay. Egg. I, I talk about this in my book, The Hooked X. And on the winter solstice, which ironically happens to be my birthday, December 21st, the shortest, darkest day of the year, as my wife Janet likes to say. Not sure why she says that, but anyway. Um, at exactly 9 o'clock in the morning, which just so happens to be an important time of medieval monastic prayer, the Templars were monks, you might recall. Um, the sun rises and the light goes through the southern window, creating a light box at exactly 9 o'clock, frames out, that Orphic egg that you're talking about inside the tower, the only true keystone in the inside of the tower, and it illuminates that light tan uh, granite orb. Why would you do that? Why, why would you even think to do that in a, in a windmill? I mean, it serves no function other, other than spiritual, right? It also signals the end of the um, year, if you will, and the beginning of the coming of spring. Um, it's a very important story that every culture found on the planet throughout time has uh, creation stories, and um, it's the Isis-Osiris mysteries. It's the Christian story of Jesus. It's the allegorical story of the annual cycle of life on the planet, birth in the spring, death in the fall, resurrection. Uh, on the winter solstice, and that's what that Orphic egg illuminating on the solstice means. And it's it's an important um, human story. 
now on the outside of the tower, on that same archway, back-to-back with that Orphic egg, is another large keystone, a notched keystone. It's called the Mark Master Mason's keystone. And both of those things are back-to-back. But interestingly enough, they are not centered in the center of the archway. And let me tell you something. No self-respecting stonemason would do that, especially a medieval stonemason. So that begs the question, why is it off by two and a half degrees? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. Because okay. there's a long-range alignment. And I don't know if you've read my book and you know about this, but if you start at the very center of that tower and you draw a line through the center of those two keystones, and you extend it into space to the west, you know where it goes? To the Kensington Runestone. It goes to the Kensington Runestone. Now, let me ask you this, Mark. I published that in 2009. It's been exactly a decade since I published the Hooked X and that discovery. Do you think if any of my opponents, and there's plenty of them out there, that would take great joy in proving that wrong by measuring it and, and publishing a paper and saying Walter's wrong, do you think that I wouldn't have heard about it by now? I'm sure I'm sure uh, you, you would have been made well aware that you were inaccurate. Yeah, exactly. You know what I've heard? Crickets. Nothing. Yeah. And nothing. And the reason is is because it's right. Now, what does that what does that mean? Let's talk about what that means. It means that okay. whoever carved the Kinsey and the Runestone also built the Newport Tower. I mean, isn't that self evident? Seems like it, yeah. Well, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know what else you could conclude. So so let's just take a look at that. So the Templars are the ones here's something else that, that's interesting. I haven't talked about this yet, but I'll talk about it now. You know okay. the, the, the pentatic numbers on the Kensington runestone? Okay. Yeah. Yes. There's 14 of them. There's 14. And then that interesting, there's a number 14 carved on the runestone, which is a whole other thing I'll talk about later. But pentatic numbers are Arabic in origin. Why has nobody ever asked the question, what are what is a Muslim numbering system doing on the Kensington runestone, it's, which is supposedly a Viking uh, runic inscription? What are what are, what is a Muslim uh, numbering system doing there? I I I I didn't know that, but yeah, you can do look at the. America's Stonehenge episode you did and draw the line to the east and you get the yeah. Phoenician thing. Uh, that that could be uh, that, that's a little bit before the uh, founding of Islam but yeah there is that, but these that possibility go back a long ways I mean it's basically finger right. counting right and right. But, but the thing is is what group interacted with Muslims in medieval times, the Templars. In fact, they met in chapter. When they weren't fighting wars, they often met and came to various agreements. They learned from each other. It's no different than mm-hmm. stories you hear about 
in in the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, where if a Mason gave the grand hailing sign of distress as a prisoner and the guards were Masons, they would take care of them. They would make sure that, first of all, they survived and that they were treated humanely. This didn't start during the Civil War. This has been going on for thousands of years. Freemasonry has been around forever. And so the Templars certainly were Masons, I mean, essentially Masons, and uh, they, they practiced the same values and, and tenets. And, uh, and they, they, the Muslim brothers did the same thing. And, and this needs to be talked about. And I think, quite frankly, when people start to learn about these things, I think it's, it's an opportunity to learn, and it's an opportunity for people of different faiths, of different ideologies, to come together. I mean, that's the way I see it. And that's what I'm going to do is try to get people to come together today by learning about things that happened in the past. Okay, it's Scott. You know, you've been um, talking a lot about uh, Freemasons and what ten years ago when you published the Hooked X. Um, I, uh, you know, I think you had an interest in. Uh, 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 Freemasonry, but in uh, the upcoming episode uh, next week, it, uh, I think you say that you are now a Mason. Yes. Is that is that is that correct? Yes. Um, I basically my research with the Runestone took me to the Templars. And in researching the Templars, Freemasonry <laughs> came into the equation, you know, immediately. And so I studied Freemasonry for about 10 years prior to publishing mm-hmm. the Hooked And oh, okay. what I learned, I, I, was, I was impressed. I was very favorably impressed. And, you know, I basically was convinced by the evidence that not only was it a good thing, but it was something I wanted to be part of. And... I didn't even realize it, but I came from a Masonic tradition in the history of my family. My dad was a Mason, but he never talked about it with me. I didn't find out he was a Mason until the day after he died when they cut the ring off his finger and gave it to me. And uh, he was a Shriner. I said, what the hell's a Shriner? <laughs> and I found out from my mother that, you know, he was a Mason. So, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I sing the praises of Masonry because I've been convinced myself that it is it is a, a wonderful organization, um, and I think we need more Masons in this country. Quite frankly, it's it's you know they they it's basically making good men better men, and I don't know what's wrong with that. What what could possibly be wrong with that? The other thing about Freemasonry is it teaches people to seek light, and all that is is a, is a is a is a beautiful way of saying. Of, of continuing to learn, to acquire knowledge, to grow as a person intellectually, spiritually, um, by learning. And a healthy uh, culture, a healthy uh, community of people is one that's highly educated, has mutual respect for each other, and, um, you know, has good good values. I mean, who can... Who can who can criticize that? I, I just don't know how they can. 
Okay, well, uh, you demonstrate that in the upcoming episode where I don't want to give away who the suspect in the Jack the Ripper episode case. that's coming up. Yeah, but you know, uh, he is also a uh, was also a uh, Mason. Uh, you, you listen to the information that is presented about him as uh, 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 shall we say, like being a wayward brother, uh, right? But, you know, I I don't think you really uh, uh, you know, uh, judge him. You just kind of look at the information uh, and yeah, uh, the information is exonerating him, uh, and you know, uh, there are a few other. Um, uh, 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 suspects presented. You know, uh, one of them was the uh, uh, Polish immigrant um, uh, butcher who had an apron. And I, I remember when I did my Jack the Ripper uh, uh, tour like 30 years ago. I think it was the same uh, uh, suspect was presented by my tour guide. So you know, you know, you you, you do. Yeah, um, just weigh the evidence without you know, really uh, being judgmental. Well, I mean, you you have to be balanced when you do an investigation, and it was pretty easy for me to be uh, objective because I, I, I'll be honest with you, I never really paid much attention to the Jack the Ripper story. I, I mean, I, I found it, I find it interesting. I'm, I'm not saying it's not an interesting story at all, but I just something I'd never delved into. So I. I didn't have a horse in the race in, in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, when these, these two doctors approached me and, and presented their, you know, their ideas, um, I got to say, I found it very interesting. Now, one of the things that happened in the episode in real life is as they were talking about, you know, what the Ripper did to his victims, um, something became apparent to me that was absolutely a connection um, to Freemasonry that, quite frankly, as part of the obligations I took, I can't talk about. And I couldn't talk about it with them, and I can't talk about it on the show, and I can't talk about it with you. But what it tells me is that the person that committed these murders was almost certainly a Freemason. Now, I, I, I'm not happy hmm. to report that, but let's face it, you know, even, even um, any Mason will tell you that um, we're not perfect, um, and not everybody who becomes a Mason um, lives a perfect life, and uh, and a, some of, and a few of them have gone rogue. Another one person that that that, in my opinion, went rogue was Joseph Smith. Um, he was a Mason, and I don't think he lived up to his vows by any stretch of the imagination. But my job, like you said, is not to to criticize these people. My job is to try to figure out if there's enough evidence to. Uh, to, uh, you know, make an accusation about somebody. And you really have to be careful, too, because, you know, I, our suspect, I'm sure, I don't know this for sure, but I suspect he probably has descendants, 
as other people that have been suspected have descendants. And unless you get a clear-cut conviction, um, you, you know, you, you can't just go um, accusing people without potential ramifications and realizing that there may be family members alive today that might not appreciate that. I understand. And with the episode that aired a couple nights ago... uh, The Courtney case. Yeah, and you you had... Uh, uh, Valerie uh, with you. It, Valerie at still. The, it's still at, at, at the uh, library um, where she got to see her grandfather's uh, notebooks. You know, I, I thought that was just one one of those uh, just real moments on TV where. It, you get to see someone's uh, emotions about how a, a, a relative really uh, changed the lives of uh, uh, people from his, his contemporaries' lives and really made a difference. Uh, uh, you know, that, that was... Just compelling TV watching. Well, I have to say, Mark, that that scene with Valerie, and and I don't even want to call it a scene because there were a number of things that happened when we filmed, you know that, you know that that scene, and it was the most emotionally powerful moment I've ever had filming any television, and I've had some pretty cool moments, I have to say where I got emotional or, you know, I was fired up beyond belief, you know. But but that one was the topper. And, you know, to see her react and to touch that book, to read the words of her ancestor and, you know, the words, you know, and, and see the name Harriet Tubman. He worked very closely with her. And to understand mm-hmm. what these, these two did, putting their lives at risk to help other people, escape slavery and, and, and find freedom, um, you know, in a really, during a really dark period of our nation's history was, I mean, if you can't be moved by that, I mean, you're not human as far as I'm concerned, but let me tell you another interesting story about something that happened that the curator, uh, Dr. Arnold, Lee Arnold, who was really, um, he was wonderful. I mean, I, I, I can't say enough good things about him. He, um, told us a story about, um, you know, he, they had a copy there. We didn't, I don't think we showed this. We showed a, a copy, one of the original drafts of the Constitution, which is incredible enough. But he also showed us one of the 50 um, copies of the Emancipation Proclamation document that was signed by hmm. Abraham Lincoln. And we got to look at that, and I've got pictures of it, and that was just, I mean, it was so amazing to see all those things. But he told me a story about an African-American woman who was doing research for a book that, um, you know, he showed the Emancipation Proclamation document to her. And she asked him, she said, can I touch the signature of Abraham Lincoln? She wanted to touch that signature of the person that, you know, African-Americans, you know, give credit as being a hero that helped 
end slavery, right? And he said, I right. would never, ever let anybody touch a document like that. But he said, in this case, I made an exception. And she just ran her finger across his, his signature, and uh, it was, it was, he said it was just a powerful moment. And it was just a really cool story, you know. Wow. Now, I, yeah, 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 that I, – I think in this new season where you know, you've had some um, – a little bit more of these emotional-type moments where people are uh, becoming more connected uh, – to a, a, a personal history that, that may be the, the, the uh, first three seasons on the other network. Is, are, are you? Is that one of the uh, uh, new things you're trying in, in this new series? No, um, I, I have to say the answer is no. I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think. Um, We've had some pretty amazing moments um, that have that have happened. You know that you know the whole thing with Valerie was one of them. But you know, mm-hmm. even Chris Courtney, the guy that found the cave, that started the whole thing in the first place. Um, right, okay. You know, this was a very personal thing for him. You know, he was 12 years old when he chased that salamander and 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 found the cave, and then you know found the medallion eventually, and all that. Um, you know, it, it was really an emotional thing for him to get answers, you know. And he didn't, didn't, didn't wear his emotions quite like Valerie did. Um, and, I, you know, you can argue what is more, uh, you know, more deeply touching, I guess. But, you know, I, it was emotional for him. And so when we had that final scene in, in, the, in, the, in the bar at the, uh, at the you know, distillery, um, mm-hmm. You know, it was genuine. It was real, and and uh, I, I, you know, I'm I'm touched by it as as much as anybody else. When I got those test results on the alien artifacts, I mean, my God, <laughs> I went what? I, I was genuinely stunned. I mean, I, I don't know if it came across on the show, but I was dumbfounded. And you know, and look, at the end of the day, does it prove that this culture interacted with aliens? Well. Not yet. Um, we still have to try to falsify that data. Could somebody have faked those results? I think the answer is maybe. I don't know how, but at some point I want to try to figure that out. Um, I will tell you this. <laughs> you know who um, Giorgio Sukalis is, right? Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with Giorgio. Well, Giorgio and I are friends, and I, you know, all I can tell you is he's he's a really good guy, and um, – you know, he doesn't take he himself is. too seriously, but obviously he's very good on ancient aliens. He's had a lot of success there. And, and um, you know, he texted me personally, and we went back and forth. I'm not going to share what we talked about, but um, it just goes to show you that there was um, people watching, and a lot of people were, were impacted by that. And I thought that was a great episode. And, you know, those jack detectors that I was interacting with, those guys – you know, I, I really am glad that the episode did not paint those guys out to be, you know, forgers or, 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 or idiots or, you know, 
I think it was handled tastefully because I don't think those guys were perpetrating a hoax. I think those guys found somebody else's practical joke, and they genuinely wanted me to help them figure it out. And obviously that one was an easy one to figure out, but, you know, they didn't take offense. They didn't react in a way that was suspicious at all. And I hope that came across. And I guess my point is, is are we trying to um, stir emotions more than we did in the past? We're not. I think just the episodes and the scenes we've shot and the people that we've been with have just, it just lended itself to that. And, and I'm fine with that, you know. I mean, if you connect with people in a human way, I don't know what's wrong with that. And Scott, also in the the, the new series, you, you, know, you, you used that um, gun that um, oh, the analyzes X-ray, uh, X-ray presence XRF gun. I, 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 that, yeah, that, uh, that's it. Uh, that, that, that's a new introduction uh, in this new series. Yeah, I don't think you had that in the old series. Is, is no, this we didn't. something that no, was? We didn't. Ju- yeah, is, is this a new gadget that uh, just came out in between you know, the first show and this new series? You know, I, I, the XRF gun, we've actually been using at our company for about, oh, at least five, six years. But, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it generates x-rays, so you really have to be careful with it. And the first ones that came out were, you know, you had to have shields on, and, and now they have it, you know, so that the, the technology is such that it doesn't have any leakage of x-rays, and, and it's, you know, it's safe to use like we did. So... That technology has been around for a long time, um, but in a handheld form, that you know, to use it as conveniently as we did, this that's relatively new. The technology um, itself isn't new, but the handheld convenience that we have that's new. And and safety okay. and safety. Okay, and also in. The episode from uh, it, it was the um, uh, Vikings in Arizona episode. What that came out? What a couple weeks ago, or premiered a couple weeks ago? That was um, that was premiere. Yeah, that would be two weeks ago. Yeah. To, uh, okay, and you know, in the first series, you know, brought um, a, a lot of scientific explanations to the, the iron crosses found in Arizona with the Kalichi oh, on them. Oh, yeah, the Tucson lead artifacts. Yeah, and, and when you returned to Arizona for the Vikings, the, the, the uh, legend of the Viking ship, you know, you're uh, you know, broadening your uh, scientific ex- explorations uh, of Arizona by looking at the geography of th- this uh, extension of the uh, 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 Baja Gulf uh, uh, that went, went into 
central Arizona towards um, California. Yeah, and the Lake Fuia, which is now called the Salton Sea. Yeah, yeah. Can, can, can you uh, get, go into a little bit more detail about you know, the geography that you, you know, you're incorporating it, it, in that episode? I thought that was really interesting. Right. Well, you know, the thing is, is that if you take a step back and, you know, right, right from the get-go, you know, we, we determined that these are real artifacts. I mean, the testing looked, you know, the testing went great. Um, you know, even though we got the right test results, doesn't mean that those test results couldn't be replicated in modern times. But then, you know, we had a scholar look at them who was the, you know, the, the prevailing expert, and she said, yeah, those are 100% real. So right from the get-go, we've got real artifacts that were found in the desert outside of, you know, Sedona, Arizona. The question is, how did they get there? Well, there's really two possibilities. One is is that um, in modern times, uh, probably a Scandinavian immigrant um, whose family had a collection of artifacts, they could maybe, going back to the old country, they had them for 100, 200 years, brought them to America, and somehow there's a story that we'll probably never know that they ended up, uh, you know, in a leather saddlebag in the desert. Now, how they got there, we don't know. So it's either a modern immigrant that lost them or Viking era, most likely Viking era explorers brought them to that area. And if so, is there any evidence to support that? Well, we, we chased down the legend of a Viking ship that's been around on the Internet for a long time um, that uh, people, there was a report of a Viking ship that a thousand years ago, when the Salton Sea was was many times larger than it, it is now, and had uh, an outlet to the Gulf of California that potentially a boat could have taken back then up into Lake Cahuilla and uh, eventually either sunk and, and ended up at the bottom or was stranded somehow. Who knows what, what the situation was. And so we, we you know, we got this this reel-to-reel tape of this interview for the first television show to air that audio and listen to a first-hand witness who said he saw it back in 1907. The recording was made in the early 1960s when he was an elderly man shortly before he died. So that was pretty cool. And then to, to go out there and and we thought we had it nailed down where the, where the site was. And, um, um, you know, we... We didn't find it, but but anyway, you know, it was, you know, the search is half to half the fun. Well, then we went down and looked at at a petroglyph that sure looked like a ship to me, and it looked like it had it you know a square sail. It had uh, upturned front and back ends. Uh, looked like it may have had a dragon head carved on the front, um, and it was carved by the natives who Viking. have a, a the Siri Indians have a legend down there of a blonde-haired, blue-eyed people that interacted with their people and sailed in a ship. And, you know, if you're going to make it, if that Viking ship that does date back a 1,000 years and it came to the uh, Lake Cahuilla at that time, how, how would it get there? Well, the only way I can think of is it went, went across the Northwest Passage around Alaska, down the West Coast, around Baja, and up into the Gulf of California and eventually into the the Salton Sea. So it's it's plausible. Is it 
likely. Well, I mean, I, it's a long shot, but it's certainly possible. And this is the evidence that supports that argument. Is it conclusive? No. But is it compelling? I think so. Scar, what when you look at the uh, petroglyph of the, you know, it's like Viking-looking uh, ship, um, and the Siri uh, Indians are saying, "Oh, hey, you know, this is part of our." Uh, or oral history, yeah, yeah, yeah. The oral history. Yeah, how much uh, evidence do you give a, a lot of these uh, stories that have been passed on for you know, generation after generation? Uh, do, you know, do you think there's a, a lot of truth uh, behind those stories? Absolutely, I do. Um, I, I, I give a lot. <laughs> I, I see no reason not to believe the oral histories of, uh, of of the indigenous people, and I think I think people don't realize that various tribes um, have different ways of recording their history. It isn't just you know, you know, mouth to ear. Um, it is mouth to ear, but there are other ways that they record information. You know, the Ojibwa, for example, will write things down on birch bark. Um, many of the of the Plains Indians will write things down on buffalo skins or deer skin, and you know, keep very careful records about what what their history is. Some native story keepers will have tattoos on their arms with symbols that help them remember their oral histories. So. Um, and you have to also understand that when this information is passed on, it's, it's sacred. This is very important. These people are chosen. They have earned the right to be these story keepers. They're highly respected within their culture. And it's not a telephone game, as some people, you know, have, have said. It, it's, it's anything but that. And, and when they receive this information, it's part of a ritual. And it's a multisensory experience that, you know, it sure as hell isn't the telephone game. It's, it's a sacred passing along of information. And believe you me, these people that are receiving it are paying attention. And, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely reliable. And it's just something that we don't um, understand because we're not part of that culture. And quite frankly, they have no interest in, in sharing it with us because of what happened. Um, but what my experience has been is that if you spend time with, with Native people and you respect their culture and you listen, um, they're just like anybody else. You treat people the way you want to be treated, you'd be surprised what you get back. Not, it's not magic. Yeah, you know, we just need more of that today. And it's... it's you're just talking about the Viking uh, ship that uh, very well may have made its way through the Northwest Passage and down the coast of California and uh, into this uh, uh, 
inland sea into Arizona. And but, but also in your book, The Hook Decks, um, you, know, you give another example of the similarities uh, in architectural styles between uh, Iceland and uh, uh, Cairn in South Dakota, and you, know, you have Baltimore Samuelson uh, you know, uh, contributing to I, yeah, your understanding of uh, uh, the Icelandic uh, Cairn building and what you saw in South Dakota. Yeah, well, I mean, it was. It looks to me to be a similar tradition. Um, mm-hmm. That um, you know how it how it was transferred. I, I'm I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, I, I bet you if we looked around the world, we'd probably find similar carns and, you know, where they build them, how they build them, what they symbolize, what they represent, uh, what they're marking. Um, you know, I, I would bet anything there's going to be an astronomical component to it as well. But, you know, these, these things in many cases are universal, found around the world, throughout time. Um, which tells you that there has been a lot of interaction amongst cultures. I mean, I, I think it's, it makes more sense to me that there was contact and interaction, you know, on a worldwide basis um, rather than coincidence. And, and I'll give you an example. There's a Native American friend that I have who lives in Canada um, who told me a story that when he was a young, young man, um, his father was, was highly respected within their um, tribal community, and he said one day there was a knock on the door, and he went and answered the door, and he said, "I'm I'm looking for your father." And he said, and and these are his words, not mine. He said, he said it was an Indian from some some other continent, and he and he said he was looking for his father, and he said, "Well, he's he's on he's on a trip. He'll be back in a few days." And the guy said, "I'll wait." And then another day or two went by, and there was another knock on the door, and there was another guy, another Indian, he said, from another continent. The same thing, I'm looking for your father. And he said, well, he'll be back in a day or two. And he said, I'll wait. And by the time his dad showed up, there were five guys waiting for him. And his father said to him, um, well, I'm going to meet with these guys for a few days, and you're not going to see me here, so don't worry. Um, you know, we have things to take to talk about. Well, what he learned eventually was that there is these guys were what they call world elders, and basically what it means is, is there is one person in the indigenous people that represents each continent around the world, and they meet in council to this day. How often do you think they meet? Can you guess? I'll give you a clue. I, 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 once a year? Nope. It's, it's a number of years, and the number of years is extremely sacred to Native Americans, well, to indigenous people around the world, and to the Templars. And I'll give you one Eight. more clue. Eight. Eight. Newport Tower. Eight. Yeah, that's, I, 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 I'm, think, I'm thinking it's eight. You got it. Because of the pillars? You got, it. you got it. Every eight years they meet and basically talk about the status of the world 
and the various cultures. Um, and uh, unfortunately, when they met that year, and this was many decades ago now, a um, couple of the uh, well, he said in recent in recent decades, he said some of the um, representatives did not make it, and he said that was not a good sign. And by the way, the person that told me that story, he inherited that job from his father. Okay. Uh, are they going to be meeting? Are they going to be meeting soon? Um, you know, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I don't feel it's my place to ask too many questions. But um, I think if I asked him, he'd probably tell me. Okay. Are do do, do they uh, discuss the conclusions publicly? Not not that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, I just I think okay. what happens is okay. each representative reports back to their their uh, their council um, that probably okay. represents various countries, the different people, um, and that information, um, whatever information they're allowed to share or they, they want to share is, is shared. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works, but there, there has to be some, okay. some um, tradition of how they disseminate that information. Okay. Well, I just, I'd be in, uh, in, interesting to yeah, yeah. See, see, see what they all have to say. I'd love to know what they have to say, but I think I can figure out what it is. Um, that you know, there's there's <laughs> there's too many people that aren't living in balance with Mother Nature, and and you know it it, it you know again I, I don't want to delve into politics, but you know let's face it you know there's a lot of discussion today about global warming and climate change and you know loss of species and and you know I I I think you'd be a fool to say that. Um, you know we're not we're not taking care of our planet, and you know I guess what I say to people is, why would you why would you take a chance any chance with your home? Why would you you know mistreat where you live? This is our home, and uh, why would you take any risk with it whatsoever? And I, I just I, you know that to me transcends politics. But yet, here it is, it's become a political issue, and I just don't think it should be. I think we should all be on the same page, um, taking care of our home. It's that simple. And I know, I know that's, that's yeah. what natives, I know natives believe that, for sure. I've heard that from them many times. And if there's any culture in the world that lives in balance with their environment better than Native Americans, I don't know who it is. Yeah, uh, and and oh, we can't indigenous move. people around the world. Yeah, uh, there's uh, not a second Earth we can move to. <laughs> it's you just don't do it. You just don't take a risk. You just don't do it. Yeah. That's my opinion. Um, okay. Yeah, Scott, we're we have like, unfortunately, we only have like 30 minutes left. And, and oh my gosh, is I an hour and a half gone by that quick? Uh, it, yeah, I just uh, ha- happened to glance down the 
you know, my watch, and I was like, oh, gee, you know, and, you know there's so many other things we need to get to. Okay, well, but, you, uh, you fire away. I sort of get on tangents sometimes. I apologize, but okay, well, well, especially it, things you know, I feel strongly about, you know. Okay, well, uh, yeah, we could go on a rant with, with uh, you know, the fracking stuff, but, uh, you know, we could save that for another time, uh, you know, when your new book comes out. But, you know, you have this interesting article in Ancient American 116 about the this gold lamella. Found oh, yeah. in Maine. Family, uh, yeah, it, um, yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, that that's a great piece. Yeah, uh, uh, what's the story behind that? Yeah, you know, this is another one of the like spirit ponds, uh, rune stones, and some of the other other uh, uh, topics you've dis- uh, the uh, 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 Tucson crosses where you, know, you get these early forms of writing. In America, uh, what kind of writing is this? On well, the I wish I could tell you. I, you know, I've reached out to various, you know, organizations, you know, the Midwest Epigraphic Society, um, and other groups that I'm uh, affiliated with that have done a lot of work with these ancient scripts, and uh, they they have no idea. I mean. I, you know, what these things traditionally are, the Phoenicians oftentimes would have these gold uh, lamblays that they would roll up just like this one was found, and they would put them inside little leather pouches around their neck, and they would wear it, you know, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an amulet or a, a charm, if you will, for protection. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously traveling the world on the oceans is dangerous business, and many people died on the oceans. Uh, that's not a new phenomenon. That's been going on for thousands of years. So um, that's the most likely explanation for what that is. But the language is unknown, and the symbols on it are unknown. And it's probably a prayer uh, for protection. But we have not figured out what the language is and what the script is. It's a mystery. But I can tell you this. It's 99.9% pure gold. Hmm. And it's, uh, you know... <laughs> It was totally encrusted with secondaries when it was pulled out of the ocean. He was metal detecting, and actually he found it early in the season at extreme low tide um, at Kennebunk Beach, and uh, it, it, it got, he put it in his, his bag where he puts the things that he finds when he's metal detecting, and he, it got stuck in the seam, and he forgot about it. And it wasn't until the end of the season when he was cleaning his bag out and putting his stuff away, you know, for winter, that he found it again and, you know, figured out what it was. So um, it's 100% legit as far as I'm concerned, and it's been, it was it was in the surf or, you know, in the sand uh, on the beach for an awfully long time, and it begs the question, how did it get there? Whose was it? What time period? If we could figure out the script, um, I think we'd have a good chance of, of, of dating it. And, and uh, so you, we just don't know how, how to identify what kind of writing or what even uh, culture it's related to. It's just uh, it's interesting art artwork or I, 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 it's 
it, it, it's captivating. I just don't know what it is. Well, like I say, I think I've told you all I can tell you about what it probably yeah. is. But, you know, do we know for sure? Uh, we don't. We just we just don't know. But at yeah. some point, I suspect, um, you know, if we get an opportunity to do uh, more shows, um, I would love to uh, to look into that, um, to look into it more. Oh, okay. Uh, um, what what? I, you know, I I know you can't talk about all the uh, other upcoming episodes on the new season, but uh, uh, what are some things we can expect? Well, um, <laughs> just like some there's, general there's some teasers. Great stuff that's coming. Um, you will hear. You will definitely see an episode about about Templars. Um, you will see, um, there's, uh, if you want to Google the Haymarket Affair, we do an episode on that, and that episode is absolutely fantastic, um, and I'm, I can't wait till I can talk about that, because, um, some things happened during the investigation that turned our original path in a completely different direction, um, which is how investigations go. New evidence might take you in a different direction and you follow the evidence trail um you know and and so that was pure scientific method and that was great um trying to think oh we uh <laughs> we look into the legend of sir francis drake um british explorer who was on the west coast of america back in uh the late 1500s and uh that episode is going to be the <laughs> There was some pretty raw motion in that one too, um, but there's there's a, there's some really good episodes coming up. I, I I can't even remember them all. It's it's I've been working so hard, and I just got back from the last episode that we shot on Sunday, and it was in Newfoundland. And man, what a beautiful place! What a cool new inscription that we found that the world doesn't know about. So. Get ready, folks. It's going to be great. <laughs> the, new, the rest of the yeah. season is really, really good. I'm biased, of course, okay. but if you liked what we already showed, you're going to see um, things that are just that good and, and, and some are better. Okay. And, and, and throughout uh, uh, your Hooked X and Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers book, you, you draw a uh, attention to like the dotted R and architectural features like the M and W on like the Gotland uh, uh, churches, you know, like uh, uh, like little eaves above, above the uh, right w- windows. You know, a lot of your work deals with these uh, just really uh, uh, unique details. Uh, 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 do, do you have more of those kinds of finds in in the new season as well? Absolutely, and there's Good. a lot more to come as well. Um, the uh, you know, in in my business doing material forensics. You know, they, you've heard the phrase, the devil's in the details. 
Well, the truth is in the details. Right. And, and, you know, you have to pay attention to um, every little thing. I mean, sometimes the smallest little clue can lead to the biggest discoveries. And that's just the kind of work I do. I'm, I'm detail-oriented, and um, that's just the way I'm wired. And, and, and it's really helped me in my work, and it's helped me in my investigations. And, you know, the people that... You know, the one thing that I figured out a long time ago when I was doing my Templar research is that if you can understand the way people's minds work, um, then you can start to predict some of the things that they will do. And this is this is um, it goes to the core of the hook decks and the Templar research that I've done, and a lot of uh, uh, and the Native American research because they share a similar ideology. And, and, and thought process, and they venerate, you know, the heavens and, and math and geometry and astronomy. And, you know, these are the things that we're taught in Freemasonry. It's the same tradition that we have in Masonry. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to become a Mason, is it helped me in my research. And, man, um, you'll read in my new book an amazing discovery that I made when I went through one of the degrees of the York Wright um, um, tradition and it, it, it taught me and really provided the final clue to the puzzle um, you know that helped me completely understand the Kensington runestone and helped me understand that most of the inscription is allegory you know there are no ten dead men it's an allegory for the Ark of the Covenant which contains the Ten Commandments right and so when, in okay. Freemasonry, you learn a whole different language um, and, and, and way of communicating through, through symbols, through allegory, through code. And if, if you're not initiated, in other words, if you're not taught how to understand those clues, that language, if you will, you're never going to understand it. You'll never see it. And, and that's been the problem with scholars trying to study the Kensington Runestone. They... They didn't understand that it wasn't, you know, the entire thing wasn't meant to be taken literally. Um, there is some literal information within it, but there's all kinds of allegory and code and, and, and symbols. And if you don't know how to read them, you'll, you'll, never, you'll never get the whole story. Okay. Uh, yeah, that does seem uh, pretty uh, characteristic of medieval writing. Yeah, uh, you can uh, you look at examples like the uh, a voyage of Saint Brendan, uh, just the different allegories, and um, you know, probably Chaucer. Uh, Chaucer would be a little bit uh, kind of contemporary with uh, the Kensington Runestone, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of allegory. Uh, a, a writing that it, it it just all seems like it it, it fits together. So I, 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 I that's an interesting point that you're bringing up. Does it make does it, 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 it makes a lot more you're sense? Saying, does it make sense to you, right? Yes. Well, I, I, let, me, I, let me give you an example of 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 an allegory that is 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 really controversial, but in my opinion, is true. I mean. Probably the, the 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 greatest document uh, that's that's essentially 
allegory is the Bible. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. and I'll give you an example. I mean, the, the, the resurrection story of Jesus in the tomb, right? How many days was okay. Jesus in the tomb? But three. And when or he comes two, out, two, who, does he, who sees him? Uh, Mary Magdalene. Right? Mary, yeah, Mary Magdalene. Right. In, in certain traditions, she's known as his wife. Okay. So what the allegory? So so he is the son of God who has been resurrected or who rises again after three days, right? Well, I would argue that that story is not true. I would argue that that story is an allegory. And the allegory is of the sun on the winter solstice when it stands still. Um, is in hiding. It is, it's at its lowest point. It's the darkest days of the year on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of December. And then what happens? The days start to get longer, right? But if you go back and right. find, people didn't understand this. They didn't know. They had rituals that they performed in earnest because they thought that would help make the sun come back. But in mystical circles, you study the sun and, and the the resurrection of the sun on the winter solstice after three days. And who is the eternal traveler with the sun? The planet Venus. Venus, the eternal traveler. And in mystical circles, they are the uh, emblematic of male and female and the, the, the concept of dualism, right? The concept of opposites that keep things in balance. And... And male-female, this dualism is represented by the sun and Venus. She is always there with her consort, the sun. So when the son of God, Jesus, is resurrected, and he, 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 he comes out of the tomb after three days and he is risen, right? Who's there? His consort, Mary Magdalene. That's not a coincidence. And so there's, there's much more to that, of course, but that's just one example of a simple allegory that um, on one level means one thing to people of a certain tradition and to those who have been initiated it means something completely different something more pragmatic and and understandable and again back in ancient times they kept very close track of all these things because it was a matter of life and death you had to know, know when to plant your crops you had to know when to harvest them you needed to know when the sun was going to return and, and spring would return. So these things were all documented, and there were rituals associated with them and stories. And so when you, when you understand them and this whole concept of allegorical stories and information, it, it, it really helps you understand how the world works and how people operate and their beliefs and, and everything else. Okay. Well, I, 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 I can see how... Yeah, you just have a whole new vision after becoming initiated, and the inscription that you provide in the early stages of the Hook X, uh, you know, just with the ten uh, uh, dead uh, people who passed passed away from the uh, like plague type illness. Well, that that was before I was initiated. 
yeah, that yeah, seems it, to be, it, 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 you know, becomes, the, make the most sense to me. And and remember, at that time, nowhere in the inscription does it say anything about the natives killing these men. People have, have assumed that for a hundred years. Well, they must have been killed by right. the natives. And and if you, if you really spend any time at all thinking about it, it makes absolutely no sense at all. First of all, there's no mention of Native Americans, Scralings, um, savages, anything in the inscription. There's no mention right. of Native Americans at all. The other thing that, that people don't think about is in, in the 14th century, there is no way in this earth that any culture is going to get to the center of the continent which in itself is an interesting fact, the geographic center, the exact geographic center of the continent, unless the natives let you. There's no way they fought their way to Kensington. This just underscores what I've been saying for a long time, that they traveled with them. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to think about it like that. But, you know, before I was initiated, the thing that made sense to me was the plague. They could have brought plague with them, and maybe 10 of their men died. You know, I, I, I don't know. But... Uh, it, now I it know it's more that. of a literal. Yeah, you, you, you had more of a literal translation. Exactly. Just over exactly. The last, and, and, and that's just not. Yeah, and over the last ten years, you've just evolved or whatever uh, well, term I've you learned. want to use. I've it, learned and I've yeah, grown, learned. and you know, again, you know, I I I I can't underscore enough that part of the problem with. Um, scholarship on the Kensington runestone is, and it boils down to this, Mark, and, and listen carefully because this is this really sums up the runestone research, but it sums up a lot of the research in many other instances as well. For 120 years, scholars have been trying to tell the Kensington runestone what it's supposed to be instead of letting the artifact tell them what it is. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, they said it's a rune Interesting interpretation. Yeah, and, and so it must conform to their understanding of what a runestone is. Well, 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 no, no. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inscription that has runes, okay, fact. But it has a lot of other stuff. And just because it has this other right. stuff that doesn't conform to what you guys say a runestone must be doesn't mean that it's wrong. And that's what they've been saying. No, no, that's not science. And, of course, what I find Wait, so I, interesting I, you, is these guys, you know, call themselves scientists. They're not scientists. It's nonsense. But anyway, I digress. But uh, you, you get the point. It, 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 it's, it, it, it's more like, you know, where uh, Bill Mann makes the point about the Poussin paintings that have the uh, like the shepherd of Arcadia. It, it, right. It's more of a artistic interpretation, not uh, just these are the facts. Ten, ten guys died. Well, no, no. Uh, if you look at the philosophy, there's a more symbolic way of expressing in a concept. Well, there's a lot more. There's a lot more to these things um, than uh, than people think. Oh, um, it's, it's just it's just you know, all the things that we have um, within Freemasonry is just a whole new set of tools that I just didn't even know exist. 
And, you know, I'm not the first person, and the people that initiated me aren't the first people to understand these things. This is ancient knowledge that goes back thousands of years. And um, I just have to say that I'm thrilled that, um, you know, I was deemed worthy enough to join this institution, and I'm proud as heck, and and it's opened so many um, new doors uh, to understanding that I just didn't even know were there. Okay. Oh, this, um, uh, it sounds like uh, you and Barbara are going to have a, a lot uh, more to continue with, with next next week when you return. But you know, as we get, you know, we have like eight minutes left. Um, you know, for for maybe some of our uh, listeners in Barnsley, England. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, you're walking around uh, London with yeah your backpack on. That, yeah, that looks pretty American. It's not the you know walking around in the city <laughs> hey, that's of London my, with the, your the backpack. You know, you know the backpack has a name, don't you? Uh, oh, what's that? Trusty. Trusty. I didn't, Trusty, my I did trusty not know backpack. That. So you know when we were I doing did. the show, it just became, hey, where's 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 your trusty backpack? Where's trusty? And I just I started calling him trusty. Get me trusty. Where's trusty? And uh, that's that's my that's my thing, man. It's my backpack, and it's what? getting pretty pretty weathered. It's got holes in it now, and I'm either going to get it fixed or get a new one uh, if we get another season. But uh, it's been it's been all around the world, and of course I pull everything and anything out of that thing. You never know what's going to. Come out of trusty. <laughs> I, 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 that that uh, that was uh, that was where I was going. Uh, okay, so, so 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 when you're walking around uh, uh, London or the Arizona desert, like what's the stuff you usually have in trusty? <laughs> well, I have my computer. Um, Depending on where we're going, I'll, I'll, I'll have a rock hammer with me. I have my hand lens all the time. I've got a notebook. I've got a flashlight. I've got a magnet. I've got my hydrochloric acid. Um, I've got, um, oh, my gosh, there's all kinds of things. Sometimes I'll bring the XRF gun. I've always got a rain jacket. I've got cameras. I've got my portable microscope. I've got pens, of course. I've got sunscreen. <laughs> I've got a little first aid kit. I've got, um, you know, chargers in there. I've got computer cords. I got all kinds of stuff. So um, it's uh, it's got everything, man. I, 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 there's a lot more I'm not even thinking about too. So okay, uh, yeah, it's a, a little bit of the behind the scenes. Stuff of America on Earth. It's just uh, fun to learn uh, things like that. Okay, so um, yeah, you're looking at like uh, early fall for the release of your upcoming book. Is that right? Well, actually, I'm going to have I'm going to have books uh, that I'll be selling on my website within a couple of weeks. I mean, the official release date is September, but uh, it's at the printer oh. right now, and I'll have books before that. So if people are interested in getting the book, they can go on my website, which is www.hookdex.com, 
H O O K E D X dot com. And uh, I sign every book that's bought off my website. Otherwise, you can get it on Amazon or go to the publisher, um, which is uh, North Star Press of uh, St. Cloud. Do you have any upcoming appearances? Uh, you know, besides, like uh, speaking engagements, not uh, not the TV shows. Well, I don't. I, I, I have. I've got a lot of invitations. I'm going to be speaking at a Masonic event in Sioux Falls next weekend, but that's that's a Masonic event. There um, won't be open to the public. But um, I really haven't booked anything because I've been making shows and. You know, if things go well and if we're fortunate enough to get renewed, then we would probably um, go into production right away. So I haven't been able to schedule anything because I just didn't know what was going to happen. But as soon as I know, if, if you know, if, if we don't get renewed, then I'll go on the speaking tour. I got a really good lecture, and I think this is the best book I've ever done. There's no doubt in my mind. And... Um, um, I, I can't wait to get out and promote it. And if we're going to make more shows, then um, I probably won't be doing any speaking for a while, except you know, <laughs> uh, on the show. Okay. And, and uh, uh, what's the ti- title of your new book? It's uh, the uh, Cryptic Code. Is that Cryptic right? The Code of the Templars in America. And the subtitle is Origins of the Hook Deck Symbol. I'm telling you, Mark, we've got some fantastic reveals uh, that we're going to have in this book that are going to are going to rock the world. I'm, and I'm not kidding. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Barbara has you uh, Monday. And I think it's Monday, and you know, uh, I don't know if uh, we could. Get it done by then, but uh, we'll have you back on. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll read it and we'll have you back on and uh, review it. Absolutely. I, I um, as soon as I, oh. as soon as I get copies, I'll be sending out promo copies, and I'll be happy to, happy to get you uh, a copy. And <laughs> I think you're going to enjoy it. If you like the hook text, you like Doc and Nan, you're going to love this. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, no, I, I, I'm into. I, I just really like the. It, the seeing things allegorically, uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, like you know, I've worked with uh, Michael Carter, and you know, he's saying, you know, like you know, not everything's literal in the Bible. You know, you have like a, a lot of the symbols from the Book of Revelation is you know needs to be understood as an allegory as so it, it, you know, I, what what you're saying is all you know, help, helping me to put all this, all these traditions into uh, a, a more clearer perspective. So, and I'm sure the listeners learned a lot from you uh, tonight as well. And I think we're down to like uh, less than 90 seconds. 